When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on X at Corey Joel, that's C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. You can also read my regular CBSSports.com column, Agents Take on NFL Salary Cap and Contract Matters. Um, this time around, we're going to take a look at the Jonathan Taylor potential trade situation. Um, first off, I'm a little dumbfounded at how the Colts and Jonathan Taylor have gotten to the point where he was given permission to seek a trade on Monday where there is a deadline of next Tuesday, August 29th, for a trade to be worked out. This situation, to me, was set up perfectly for Jonathan Taylor to have an extension, just from the standpoint that you've got a team that should be able to accommodate a lucrative running back contract. You draft Anthony Richardson at the fourth overall pick in this year's NFL draft, so you won't be contending with a high-priced quarterback on the roster for the foreseeable future. You can't do an extension with him until 2026 at the earliest, which will be the third year of an extension with um, Jonathan Taylor. A strong running game should be Anthony Richardson's best friend, especially considering he's relatively inexperienced for a quarterback coming out of college. Started 13 games at the University of Florida. So having someone like Taylor would take a lot of pressure off of him. And this has, situation has parallels to where the Arizona Cardinals were in 2018. You had David Johnson, great second year. Limited to one game because of a wrist problem, dislocated his wrist. In the third year, they paid him after the third year, his contract year. New head coach, Steve Wilkes, drafted a quarterback in the first round, Josh Rosen. He got Shane Steichen coming in, new head coach, drafted a quarterback. Five years ago, they paid Jonathan Taylor $13 million per year on his contract. Uh, turned out to be a mistake, <laughs> though. Yeah. Almost $32 million in, in guarantees in the contract, and incentives took the max value of the deal to $45 million. Now, nonetheless, that's not where we are with um, Jonathan Taylor, and especially considering comment that Chris Ballard, the Colts GM, made in January. When they're great players, it is. When they're, when they're a special player, it is. I'm not going to get into what we're going to do contract-wise, but when you're a special player and a special playmaker, yeah. That kind of talk in January, to me, seemed like there was going to be a contract extension. But nonetheless, things went south. 
this summer. <laughs> and to me, Colts owner Jim Irsay lit the fuse getting into a social media feud with his comments about running backs on, on X. When he characterized running backs wanting changes to be made to the NFL because being underpaid is bad faith. Taylor's new agent that he hired in June, uh, Malki Kawa, took it up a notch saying that Ursay's operating in bad faith and not playing his top offensive player, then suggests the relationship between Taylor and the Colts is beyond repair. They have a meeting during practice, didn't ease tensions. Next thing you know, <laughs> Taylor's demanding a trade. That becomes public knowledge. We actually demanded it for that. Then you get Ursay being adamant that Taylor won't be traded. We will not trade Jonathan Taylor. That is a certainty, not now or not in October is what he said at the time. Trading deadline is October 31st at 4 p.m. Then you had these reports about him, whether he complained of back pain or not with the physical. He denied there's any back pain. And I think Ursay tried to dial it down um, last weekend. And then Monday, dial down the rhetoric. And then Monday, he's granted a, um, a trade, permission to seek a trade. Now, I've been in that position before of having a player not disgruntled but getting permission to seek a trade. And trading Jonathan Taylor is complicated. There are three, there are three parts to this. Um, the three moving parts. One, the contract. Two, trade compensation. Three, his health because he still is on, he's on active, the active physically unable to perform list because the ankle surgery he had in January hasn't passed the preseason physical yet. So you got three components that need to align for a trade. I suspect the health will take care of itself. My sneaking suspicion, have no proof, is that Jonathan Taylor probably could pass a physical, but complaining about the ankle injury more than he uh, there actually is because this is part of his quote-unquote hold-in tactic. Just my uninformed speculation. But getting back to my experience when you have permission to shop yourself for a trade, it's really for you to work out a deal once you identify a team that might be interested. This goes back to, I think it was 2004. We represented Patrick Sertan, cornerback for the Dolphins, whose son actually may end up being a better player than the original Sertan. No, this is 05. This is 05. This goes back to 2005. And Pat was a three-time Pro Bowler. Pat very good, very good cover corner. But 04 with Matt Thomas, who's now the contract negotiator for the Seahawks. Yeah, when Pat had two years left on his contract, they approached us about a contract extension. It became very obvious we weren't going to be on the same page. So in his contract year, that offseason, they told us, since we're never going to meet what you want, which was top of the market money, Champ Bailey, Chris McAllister at the time, Go try to find a trade. Try to try to find an interested party, which we did, the Chiefs. They had to work out the compensation among themselves, and we had to work out um, a contract, which we did. We actually had the contract done um, before 
the Chiefs and the uh, Dolphins had worked out the trade compensation, we knew that the deadline was going to be the draft. And after we'd gotten the contract done, <laughs> we knew that deal was going to get done. There's no way you're going to be able to bring Pat back in the locker room, not pay him heading into his contract year after you've, I, there's a team that was going to pay him. Um, but our whole role was one, identifying a team, <laughs> um, reporting back to the Chiefs, more or less let them work out the compensation because we weren't authorized, and maybe that's the case here, I don't know. We weren't authorized to tell them what would be acceptable. The Colts have come out and said they want um, a first-round pick or an equivalent, but getting the contract done um, was really what our role was with the interested parties. Contractually, the running back market is <laughs> really taking a downturn this year. You had eight running backs who were making over $12 million per year when the uh, regular season ended. Now you're down to four. And top of the market is Christian McCaffrey on a deal he signed in 2020. Back in April 2020, four-year extension when he had two years left on his rookie contract, averaging $16,015,853 per year. He had Thirty-nine million one hundred sixty-two thousand five hundred thousand. Thirty-nine million one hundred sixty thousand five hundred in guarantees, and an NFL record $30,062,500 fully guaranteed at signing. Now, you only have four running backs averaging twelve million per year or more. The last deal to get done was Nick Chubb in 2021. He was in the final year of his rookie contract. Then, three-year extension averaging 36.6. A three-year, $36.6 million extension, averaging $12.2 million per year. He had $20 million in overall guarantees where um, there was $17,133,059 um, fully guaranteed at signing. Now, second highest paid running back on paper is Alvin Kamara at $15 million per year. I don't necessarily call it 15 million per year because the last year has 25 million in it. So there is no way he would be playing for that. It's really 12.5 million per year. That's the second highest paid um, running back um, to me. 12.5. So someplace between 12.5, you're not getting to 16. You're not going to reset the market. Something above 12.5, maybe that David Johnson neighborhood would have to be the contract to get done, but that's one piece of the puzzle. Now, the next piece of the puzzle is the trade compensation. Now, before I get to that, there is maybe if um, Taylor is so dead set of getting out of Indianapolis, he could accept a trade, Without getting the contract, we had a holdout situation um, in 2004 with Keenan McCardell, um, receivers receiver for the Bucks. That now is the Vikings receivers coach. That thing went until the trading deadline. Tampa was adamant they weren't going to pay him, and it got to the point where Keenan was like, "You know what? I don't need to get paid. I just want out of here at all costs." And when the Chargers 
um, at the 11th hour before the trading deadline approached us. They needed to know, do we need a contract done now? Or can that be put on the back burner? And Keenan was fine. I just went out of town. So I don't know if things are that bad where Taylor would accept getting out of town at all costs. But there's a problem with that, that trade compensation is going to be less, I would think, if you don't have the contract in place. And then you have to actually pay someone and give up draft capital. Then if Indy's trying to get the most draft capital, would they be willing to eat some of the salary this year, convert money on the way out the door to improve the draft capital? Taylor's making $4.304 million this year. You could lower his base salary to his league minimum $1.01 million. The most you could eat, Indy could eat, would be $3.294 million in a trade. That's just another consideration. But Indy publicly stated they want a first-round pick or the equivalent. Now, I remember last year when Christian McCaffrey was traded, the, the initial reports were the the Panthers wanted multiple first-round picks for McCaffrey. They ended up getting a phenomenal deal under the circumstances. Um, and they converted basically all of his salary into signing bonus in the offseason. So you only had to take on San Francisco when they acquired McCaffrey, only had to take on the prorated amount of what was left uh, for the current year for 2022 um, in salary. And they got a second-round pick. They got 2023 second, third, and fourth-round picks and a 2023, 2024th, uh, fifth-round pick. That's quite a haul. And depending upon what draft chart you use, the value for all those combined picks is either a mid, as high as a mid-first-round pick if you use some of the more modern ones like Chase Stewart's draft trade chart. If you're going back to the original Jimmy Johnson draft trade chart, which tends to overvalue picks in the first round, particularly the early first round picks, then it's a mid first round. It's a mid second round pick. Um, And the picks were in the back of the round because San Francisco did so well. So you're talking pick 61 in the second. The third round pick was the 93rd pick overall. And to me, the perfect team to trade for Jonathan Taylor is going to be a team that views him as a missing piece to get over the hump for a Super Bowl. Um, and those picks would be in the same place. But that was the haul that um, San Francisco that uh, San Francisco gave up to get McCaffrey. And part of that was because you had another team. You had two teams basically in a bidding war. The Rams were hot and heavy for him. So that gave Carolina a little more leverage. Um, from what we know, six teams have called and expressed an interest in Jonathan Taylor. Three that have come up by name have been the Miami Dolphins, at least in reports, yeah, taken with grain of salt reports, but um, Chicago Bears and Denver Broncos. 
and that um, Miami supposedly rejected the trade offer. Uh, the trade offer has been rejected by the Colts, I should say. So, if you can get two teams that are in that much of a bidding war, then that's how the Colts are going to maximize their compensation. Now, to me, if you're looking at the straight compensation, the last time a team got a first-round pick for a running back, which I don't think you're going to have a – I don't think you have a chance getting a first-round pick in this situation. The Colts were involved in it. That was when they gave up a first-round pick to the Browns for Trent Richardson. And that deal definitely didn't pan out for them. (laughs) But um, they've also been involved in another running back trade um, years ago where – to me, if you could get this, that would be a tremendous uh, haul to me. That 1999, before the draft, they traded Marshall Falk, who was coming off a season where he led the year in yards from scrimmage. I think he had 2,227 yards from scrimmage. They gave the Ram- the Rams gave up a 1999 second round pick and a 1999 fifth round pick um, to get Falk. And second round, the second round pick was 36 overall. So the 36th overall pick. So a little different um, placing of the pick. Um, McCaffrey versus the Falk trade. So if you get it to me, you're not getting the first. If you can get a second plus, that would probably be the best you could do. Maybe a player has to come back in that um, as well or a player can substitute a pick. Let's move on to the teams that would have interest. First, you got one thing you got to look at is cap space. You got to look at need. And then look at, to me, connections. Because to me, familiarity, familiarity brings comfort. So where there are coaches that have a history with Jonathan Taylor, would come into play as well. But if you're looking at the Dolphins, they've got the cap space to do it, according to NFLPA data. They have just under $13.5 million of cap space. you got to remember right now, only the top 51 um, players are counting against the cap. That is going to change on September 7th at midnight. Everything's going to count. Everybody who's on a reserve list, your practice squad players, so that can be anywhere from a three to five million dollar shift in cap space. Then you got to look at the draft capital that could be available. Not getting a first round pick, but Miami does have a second round pick in 2020, 2024. Fifth round pick, sixth round pick, seventh round pick. They've got full complement of picks in 2025 as well. So would a second round pick? Because there's no third. They don't have a third or fourth. So it'd probably have to be a second-round pick <laughs> um, if it's going to be a 2024 pick. Would sending back one of the running backs that Miami has, either uh, Raheem Mostert or Jeff Wilson, who are both under contract through 2024, um, be something that Miami, I mean the Colts, would find attractive potentially? But I would look along those lines, and Miami's one of these teams that is in a win-now mode. This team's been 
there hadn't been a trade. They're not a. They're not shy about making trades. Past couple of years, Tariq Hill comes over, make him not as paid wide receiver. Bradley Chubb comes over, uh, middle of last season before the trading deadline, he gets a deal shortly thereafter. Jalen Ramsey this year, so they're going for it. This is a, this is why this seems to be the most likely destination. Teams with the most cap room. Cleveland. They've got almost $39 million in cap space, but they don't have a need. Nick Chubb, they're out. <laughs> Arizona, um, $24.5 million basically of cap space, but they're in a rebuilding mode. Although Jonathan Gannon, their head coach, was the DB coach in Indianapolis Taylor's rookie year, I'd take them out of the equation. Those are two teams with the most cap room. Um, the Bengals have a ton of cap room, but they, they have $19.13 million. They're fifth. They just redid Joe Mixon. He took a pay cut. Their bigger issue is extensions. They extended Logan Wilson, their middle linebacker, a couple of weeks ago. Joe Burrow's the big one. And T. Higgins. Um, Dallas had the third most cap room before the Trey Lance trade. Um, they're still right up there because you only taken on for at least this year his minimum base salary. But to me, that seemed like a potential place. But after giving up getting the quarterback, and Jerry Jones saying that um, he was comfortable with the running backs they had, although he would explore everything. He said earlier in the week that that to me is a signal that they weren't really in the market unless they could get them for something that made sense for them. Um, Detroit, $19.14 million in cap space. They drafted Jamar Gibbs in the first round, so I'd remove them uh, from consideration um, as well. And those are the teams that, heading into today, had the most cap room um, in the NFL. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, going back to the teams that have connections to Jonathan Taylor, um, Bears, because Matt Eberflus, head coach, um, was defensive coordinator in Indianapolis for his first two years in the NFL and was there and saw firsthand what Jonathan Taylor is really capable of doing because Putting that um, season of last year aside, the injury plague season, you go back the year before, and he's coming off a career low, 861 rushing yards in 11 games. The offensive line underperformed, but he had the ankle injury, which was slowing him. 2021, easily the best running back in the league. Matt Everfuss saw that. 2,171 yards from scrimmage. 1,811 rushing yards. 20 total touchdowns, 18 rushing um, touchdowns, 
all those things led the NFL. Run the rushing title, won the rushing title by 552 yards, averaged 5.5 yards per carry. Even with the injury plague season last year, Taylor ranks third in yards from scrimmage, 4,643, fourth in rushing yards, 3,841 yards, and fourth in touchdowns at 36 since entering the NFL past three years. So Eberflus seen firsthand what he can do. This is a team that is in great shape cap-wise. They got $15.4 million of cap space next year, 2025. A shade under $170 million in cap commitments. Cap could be 245 250 next year. That's where they differ from Miami. Miami, he, before had doing anything, they've got 288 point, almost, almost $288.4 million of cap commitments for 2025. That's Therein lies the rub with... Um, Miami, but they're in win-now mode, but you had the Bears go out and spend money in free agency, offensively and defensively, traded to get a number one receiver from Carolina, DJ Moore. So, the Bears make sense that he'd be a huge upgrade and Iberflus knows what he can do. Maybe you have to send a running back back and like, uh, not Foreman that you uh, picked up in free agency uh, this year. And the draft capital is there. They've got two first-round picks. They have Carolinas from the uh, Carolina moving up so they could draft uh, Bryce Young. So two firsts, a second, a third, two-fourths this year. They have fifth and a sixth, 2025, a first. They got two seconds, one of them's Carolina, and they got their third through seventh round pick. So the draft capital's there. They got the cap space. They could probably, they're not paying Justin Fields yet. He's not eligible for a contract extension until after the season. So they're in a position. Granted, they're not ready to win yet, but this is a, NFC North and transition of Aaron Rodgers being traded, that maybe they could make a push for the playoffs, although they had the worst record in the NFL last year. Um, staying along the lines of familiarity, Carolina has familiarity, but because Frank Wright was his head coach until the middle of last year when uh, Jim Irsay decided to go with the interesting move of firing him and bringing Jeff Saturday, who had no coaching experience, over from ESPN to be the interim head coach. They've got about $18.7 million in cap space. But they went out and signed Miles Sanders in the uh, offseason. We know the two teams can do trades, <laughs> but I would I would rule them out. Um, I'm going to go back to Chicago for one thing. Another interesting angle is that Ryan Poles, the GM for the Bears, Chris Ballard, the GM for the Colts, Good working relationship from the days in Kansas City. So those are the teams with connections. Now, a team which has come... Oh, one more. One more team of connection, which is interesting. Um, his offensive coordinator, his rookie year, was Nick Sirianni, the Eagles head coach. 
they've got about 14.6 million dollars of cap space, and high. This is I wouldn't put them in a like a team I would expect, except for one reason: Harry Roseman isn't afraid to make a move which is going to benefit the team. Um, that's the only reason he definitely makes a ton of trades. And from a cap standpoint, they got the room this year. They have 208.5, a shade under, for cap commitments next year. But from a draft capital standpoint, they've got a second this year, New Orleans second. They have their own first. They should get a third-round compensatory pick. They have multiple fifth-round picks when you factor in the compensatory picks they should get. So they're they're in a position where they had a draft capital, but I'm – I'd be shocked um, if it was going to be Philadelphia. Then a team to me, which fits the profile of win now, but from a cap standpoint, kind of tough without restructuring contracts, Buffalo. If you got Jonathan Taylor, that's a put you over the hump. You haven't been able to get by Kansas City, Bengals, those this the two teams standing in your way. That puts you right there. Uh, they've got just under $5.1 million of cap space. They'd have to restructure like Tredavious White or Deion Dawkins. They'd make the most sense. They've already restructured uh, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs' contracts. But you've got almost $277 million in cap commitments next year. So if you look at it from cap health, they don't really make a lot of sense. Although, from an addition, from a talent perspective, what he could do for them makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, the Broncos have come up. Um, they got all shade under 11. They have like $10.9 million in cap space. So, yeah, they could do it. And also, Sean Payton has had a high-priced running back on his team before in Alvin Kamara, who was a dual-threat running back, which is not necessarily... Um, what Taylor is. But from a draft capital standpoint, they don't have a second this year. They've got a third, two, uh, fourth, two-fifths, so two-sevenths and a first, so that makes it hard um, for them as well. Uh, Tampa Bay's come up. Some people have mentioned Tampa Bay. They don't need cap room. they got $400,000 of cap space. Takes them out of the equation. They are rebuilding. They're clearing out the cap, to me, to put themselves on a... This is like their rebuilding year, or get healthy from the cap standpoint. Same with the Rams. They're setting themselves up for next year. Don't see them giving up any premium picks either. So, my... Wouldn't surprise me if, on the 29th, in the importance of the 29th on Monday is that's the roster cut down day. And you got to do a couple. That's why the deadline to me, I think that's why I set the deadline for the 29th. Cause since he's on active PUP and whatever team, I'm sure they're looking at the medicals. And they're going to be comfortable with uh, his health. And I suspect that his health, He's healthier than you think. <laughs> he could probably pass a physical today, push comes to shove. 
if the roster cut down for guys on active PUP, you got options. Moving to reserve PUP, you do that. He's out a minimum of four games before he can come off of that. He's got to sit out four games before he can come off. You can waive him. They're not going to do that. Trade him, which is obviously what could happen, or you count him on the roster till healthy. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if something doesn't get done. If it does get done, I think it may come down to the 11th hour. Um, it'll be Tuesday, sometime before the 4 p.m. deadline, um, Eastern time for the roster cut down. But this could be a marriage of convenience this year. Then the question becomes, if he's still a cult, what does he do? Is he going to, if he can't pass the physical, would they carry him on the 50-man roster? Would they move to reserve PUP? To me, Jonathan Taylor's got to play this year. You were healthy your first two years. You had the injury-plagued season last year. You can't really have two injury-plagued years and expect to get paid. And franchise tag would be looming anyway. And that number is going to be 4.635% of the salary cap. That's what it's going to project to. And the way this whole franchise tag stuff works, you take the sum of the five franchise tags from the previous five years under the original methodology, which was the average of top five salaries. You add those together, add the, divide those by the five salary caps from the previous five years. You get a, the percentage, multiply that by what the cap is for the upcoming year. So we're talking about 11-4. Around the 11-4, 11-5 range will be what the uh, uh, tag will be. But... You could have a whole nother can of worms if he's still there. And particularly if he's a, he's a cult for the time being, you could still trade him up until the trading deadline on Halloween at 4 p.m. Eastern time. But the worst case scenario would be he's got a deal that's acceptable with, let's say, Miami or Chicago. Colts can't fork out the compensation then I don't know if Indy would use that. Okay, this is what your value is. We'll pay it to you. Knowing that he was looking to get out of town, would he accept it? So you th- having him come back under those circumstances, the worst possible thing to me, unless you're willing to pay him. And then having him come back and not paying him, man, this thing could get – pretty sticky because he could pull the I'm still not healthy to play. Maybe he legitimately he hasn't rehabbed and he couldn't pass a physical. I suspect that's part of a quote unhold in strategy. Let's say they pass him on the physical. Is he how much of a pain in the butt is he going to be? And then is he going to be enough of a pain in the butt where potentially you're setting yourself up to be suspended for conduct detrimental? Then what if he's refusing to perform? You got a whole bunch of issues which could come up there. Or you're going to be enough of a distraction between now and the trading deadline to where hopefully they move you anyway. So if he's there, this thing can get sticky. Um, but I suspect, at least for the time being, if he's not moved, it's a marriage of convenience. He's got to go out there and play. And if he's past the trading deadline, then... 
it's going to be potential tag next year. Uh, money usually cures all ills. Maybe fences could fend. I mean, uh, fences could mend. Where you pay him. Um, but right now, the relationship is seems to be teetering. But we'll see where this thing goes before Tuesday. But um, I pretty much uh, am in the camp of too many moving parts to get the trade done. And the Colts are going to have to deal with this thing uh, for the early part of the season, at least, if not the whole season. Well, that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, Don't forget, you can find me on X at Corey Joel. That's C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. You can also read my regular CBSSports.com, Sports.com column, Agents Take on Contracting Salary Cap Matters. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Goodbye.